You're listening to the Mortgage Reports Podcast, where we reveal tips, tricks, hacks, and knowledge to help you buy a home, refinance, or invest in real estate. TheMortgageReports.com is here to help you buy a home. From helping you find grants to cover your down payment, to popular loans for borrowers with low income or iffy credit, get the resources you need delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up for the Mortgage Reports newsletter at themortgagereports.com slash email. Craig Berry here with the Mortgage Reports podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Gordon. Mark is the Chief Revenue Officer for Princeton Mortgage. Actually, right before the show, he did tell me that there's some changes going on. So we'll confirm that that is still indeed his title here in a minute. Uh, Mark's primary goal is helping people get where they want to go. He helps loan originators become the best version of themselves through coaching and guidance. And he gets into the trenches with team members, helps them identify roadblocks and bad habits that may be holding them back. Mark has had a lot of success in the mortgage industry, starting out roughly 22 years ago as a loan originator and sales manager at Castle Point Mortgage. Uh, Mark was a branch manager and VP of Ops at First Metropolitan Mortgage. And then Mark went on to become the founder and CEO of Fortran Funding. And Fortran was responsible for nearly $1 billion in loans over five years. And after selling Fortran in 2016, Mark joined Princeton Mortgage, where he is currently. Mark Gordon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. I appreciate it. And it's always fun to hear an intro and somebody summarizing your work experience that way. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, did I hit the mark on those things? And, and let's, let's first of all start with, has your role changed at Princeton? Yeah. So, I mean, for most of the time I've been at Princeton, you know, the company's around for a long time, but we were really a start over when, when we got here. And I've noticed in my career, I have these like five year runs in me that we kind of do. And uh, we've been on a huge adventure here with tremendous success, being an Inc. 5000 company and doing the different things we've done at Princeton. As the role of kind of chief revenue officer, head of sales uh, really has led into more travel and recruiting travel. That's not something that I love, quite frankly. I don't love being on the road and being a road warrior. Uh, I moved to Charleston from New Jersey a little over five years ago, and I've just really fallen in love with the community here. And so while I'm still doing a bunch of capital market stuff for the company and a lot of the sales training, coaching, and performance for all of our loan officers across the country, my role in the recruiting will be significantly reduced, and I'm going to be spending a lot more time focused here locally doing uh, you know, some originations, working with my wife, who's a branch manager here. And then also, uh, I hope to uh, be starting some real estate adjacent businesses like landscaping and hardscaping, different things I'm going to be doing in the community here over the next couple of years when I find the right partners. Very cool. Very actively involved in the community. That's awesome, man. Now, you say you like to help loan originators. Let's just jump into that aspect of it because I, I really like that. I like talking about that because loan originators themselves are a different breed uh, in general. Um, and you like to you know help them become the best versions of themselves and have a more meaningful and intentional life. And so tell me more about that. How do you do that? Well, that's my, my passion. I will say this. I've, I've done a lot of work on myself. You know, I'm one of those people that uh, sometimes I'm painfully self-aware in that uh, the person I've wanted to be sometimes has not always been the person that I, I am. Or in other words, we are what we do and what we say and how we behave, not always what we, we think we, we are, right? And so um, I've been fascinated my whole life with helping other people go on that same journey. 
I was a psychology major in college. That's how we interact with the world and how we behave and what makes us who we are has always been something that's very interesting to me. And what I find with loan officers is that, and really people in all, all different sales roles and different things like that, is that everybody thinks their own situation is unique, their own problems are unique, or they're kind of the only one experiencing their thing or, or their, their set of obstacles. But most of the time, it, it comes down to a very finite number of things that really hold people back. And oftentimes, what, what we do through coaching is first, we really help people identify what stage they're at. We kind of have these five levels of loan officer that we talk about. Kind of, okay, here's the level that you're at right now. And there's, it's tied to production, but it's not always 100% production-based. And then, okay, what are the things that keep people from level two from going to level three? And what we find is about half the people that we have these conversations with kind of figure out they're not willing to do or they don't think they can do, they have a limited mindset, the things that it takes to get to level three. And for the other half of people, they're like, I'm going to figure that out. And then for those people, we really spend a bunch of time helping them kind of figure out whatever's holding them back. And it's these same things at different levels, right? It's, you know, you get that level two loan officer that's kind of riding the roller coaster, right? It's, hey, I can go get business, but then I have to babysit my pipeline. Then the business goes down, right? And then I go, and then those loans close, then I got to go out and get the business again. It's okay, how do we get off the roller coaster? What are the things that hold those people are like, well, it's time management, right? And so, okay, cool. How do we budget your day and your time so you're you're spending time on prospecting no matter what? Well, at level three, it's, hey, I'm a control freak. I do everything myself. No one can do it as well as me. But now you're on vacation with your family and you're in Florida and they're on the beach and you're in the hotel room and your wife or your husband's mad at you because it all depends on you and you can't take a break and you're about to break from it, right? Well, now we have to figure out, okay, how do I go hire people? How do I go delegate responsibility? Am I willing to do that to get to the next step? And so- um, really bringing self-awareness to loan officers in terms of where they are uh, and when it's good, it's you, it's bad, it's you, right? And and helping them realize, okay, cool, this is what it'll take to get to the next level and then figuring out that willing, wanting gap of are you willing to do the stuff it's going to take to get there? That's awesome, man. And, and I like the, the different levels that you assign to it as well. Now, you've referenced transparency. And, and one of the things that I was reading about you, it was the term that I really like, radical transparency. You're all about it personally and professionally. Expand on that for me. Yeah. And so I, the story I always tell that kind of, or like the, the anecdote I'll give that like kind of summarizes it for people is, hey, you're walking down the street with your wife, a beautiful woman walks by and you look at her and your wife goes, were you just looking at her? And I always say, yes, right? Because I would rather the short-term discomfort of telling my wife I was looking at that woman over the long-term dysfunction of being somebody who lies to my wife. That may seem like, uh, like you're doing that for the other person, but really it's very selfish. I don't want to have to worry about what I'm going to say, who I'm going to say it to, you know, and, and uh, I want to be able to live my life in a creative space. Well, when we're hiding from stuff or pretending to be someone we're not, that sucks up our creativity and it sucks up a lot of our energy because we're always trying to be whoever that other person thinks that we should be. Now, the cost of that is, is then if you want to be radically transparent, you can only behave in a way you're willing to tell people about. Right. And so that's very clarifying too. saying, okay, if, if I'm anything I'm doing in any part of my life, I want to be able to tell people about it and be proud of the, be proud of that behavior. Right. And so, so that radical transparency um, really becomes sort of its own accountability, which is to say, okay, if I know I'm going to have to tell everybody around me the truth and I'm going to live this life of radical truth selfishly because I want to be creative and I want to feel good. Well, then I have to make sure that I'm, that I'm living up to being the person that I want to be. And so those two things really become married. Again, you know, how many executives are there in the mortgage industry right now that know something about their company that they're not willing to tell the people who work for them? That's very stressful, right? And you end up, you end up lying to people or keeping things from people. And then you're like, well, what can I say and who can I say it to? 
And then also, by the way, you create middle managers who hoard power and information because they think that's the thing that's going to help them keep their job. And so then that creates tension within the ranks. Whereas if it's a, at a company level, you're willing to share all of the information, good, bad, or otherwise with almost everyone, right? Then you eliminate that tension and then everyone gets to be part of the solution, right? So if we hoard information at the top and only the C-level people have that information, well, now we're the only ones who can solve the problem. But if we have a problem, I'm willing to tell everybody about it. And yeah, there might be a little discomfort in that, but it, it eliminates all the dysfunction that comes from that secretive stuff. And it makes everybody potentially a part of the solution. And what we found is that if you treat people like adults, they behave like adults across the board. And so it's been transformational for me as a person leaning into radical transparency and also made Princeton Mortgage the kind of place that people love to work. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, funny how that happens, though, isn't it? You know, when you treat people like adults, you know, the results that you get, you know, it's it's amazing. And I, and I like that that analogy. So let's talk about Princeton Mortgage a little bit. Like, tell me about the Princeton Promise. Yeah. So Rich, our CEO, you know, he's a, he's a huge reader. Um, and I wasn't when I got here, but now I've really caught up to him. I spent a lot of time reading books over the last five years. And uh, one of our favorite authors is Jim Collins. He wrote like Good to Great and Built to Last in those books. And he talks about catalytic mechanisms in those books, meaning, you know, you have these this flywheel thing, which by creating accountability within your organization, it spits off a bunch of other positive things that come with it. Right. And so what we wanted with the Princeton Promise was a way, okay, how do we get meaningful feedback from our customers? Not just when something goes wrong, but really make it easy for them to give it to us. How do we make sure that our team is not hiding problems from us, right? And so, in other words, no, normally at a mortgage company, you know, the higher ups only find out if a problem is bad because it got so bad that it exploded. We wanted to make it easy for problems to rise to the surface. We also wanted to be the kind of place where only A players wanted to work. And so if you create that transparency, what it does is if you're a B or a C player, it's very uncomfortable in a transparent environment. So we want A players who are saying, hey, I know if things are transparent, I'm going to rise to the top. People are going to think I'm doing a great job because I'm an A player. We want those B and C players to go out. So the Princeton Promise, long way of saying this is, we offer every client $1,000 at closing if they're unhappy for any reason. And when we first rolled it out, we had people quit over it. We had a processor in the meeting where we rolled it out, pack up, leave the meeting, pack up our stuff and leave the building. So you're going to get me in trouble. It's going to be a disaster. Everyone's going to take it. Why wouldn't they take this $3,000? Um, and initially our goal was to have less than 10% of our clients take us up on it. But even in the first month, it was only 6%. And then quickly went down to 3% and then 2%. And over the last four years, it's been about one half of 1% or about one of every 200, 250 of our clients are taking us up on that Princeton promise. And it's been absolutely transformational for our business and our company. It's why we have the top customer service scores in the industry. If you look up MPS score in Princeton Mortgage, it's literally like us number one, Tesla number two. I mean, you, this, you can Google this, it's out there. Because having that accountability of that Princeton promise, and, and th those borrowers actually get three emails during the process. If you're unhappy for any reason, click this button, get $1,000. First of all, when we make a mistake, we get to fix it. And so even when someone's mad enough to hit that button, they get a phone call from somebody on our leadership team, usually within a minute or two, they're blown away. They can't even believe it, right? And we're like, hey, what happened? We're so sorry. Let's fix it. We fix that issue for them. About half the time, people tell us to keep the $1,000, right? They're so floored by the fact that we did what we said we were going to do and called right away and handled it that they don't even want the money anymore. And then what it really did is it made it so that, hey, if we have a bad actor. You don't, no matter how much due diligence you do, you hire a loan officer that, quite frankly, you shouldn't have on your team. And as a loan officer, if your company has a bad loan officer somewhere else, that hurts the reputation of all of us, right? 
So now all of a sudden, this loan officer has been here for two months and suddenly we've gotten two Princeton promises, both from clients that say the loan officer said one thing at the beginning of the process that turned out not to be true. Well, now that person's out of here in month two, instead of at some other company, it might take two years, damaged reputation, fraudulent loans. We want to bring all those problems to the surface. And so over and over again, by introducing that transparency and accountability, um, we've been able to deliver a differentiated result. I'm sure that you get questions on a daily basis. I sure do. Uh, typically, you know, it's going to be, what are the interest rates doing? When are the interest rates going to drop? Uh, is now a good time to buy? And usually it's based on the interest rates. Uh, I got a question yesterday from a friend of mine and it was interesting. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pass this question along to you. I want to see if you, what, what your thoughts are. So instead of asking about buying, he wanted to know him and his wife were thinking about selling their home and they want to know they, they really want to wait until spring for a couple of different reasons. But, you know, his, his question was, is now the best time to sell or do you think that spring will be better or different or worse in any way if we waited until then? Do you have any predictions as far as the housing market as it is now as compared to what it may be come spring of 2024? So I appreciate the question and I'll say, I'll just, I'll, I will do my best to answer it. But before I start, I'll just say generally, my answer to this is my crystal ball is broken. And I tell everybody in my life, hey, you want to stay on your toes. So what does that mean? I'm not making predictions about what's going to happen, but I want to be prepared regardless of what happens, right? So if rates continue to go up, my plan and my approach is going to be X. If rates stay the same, my plan and my approach is going to be Y. If rates go down, my plan and my approach is going to be Z, right? And so that's my recommendation is to not try to make predictions on this stuff. I'll also say this is that unequivocally, this is a very good time to sell a house, right? You have a situation where we don't have enough inventory. There's still buyers out there, you know, and so, and home prices are at the highest they've ever been, right? So if you're like, hey, I know I'm going to sell, right? Then like, it's probably a pretty good time to sell. Does that mean that rate, that home prices will not be higher in the spring? Of course it doesn't, right? But if you're hoping to time the market perfectly, whether you're buying or selling stocks and buying and selling real estate or anything else, if you need to get in and out in the, at the perfect moments, you're probably going to lose more than you're going to win, right? And so what you want to do is set yourself up where you have optionality. And so if you, so if it's a situation where it's like, if I sold right now, I'd be okay. I'd love to be better, but things would be pretty good if I sold right now, then, then put your house on the market. If you know that wholesale home prices go down really fast and they're six or seven or 8% lower in the spring than they are right now, which would be a pretty historic, very quick drop. Are you still going to be okay? Are you going to be ready to jump off a bridge? Well, then you might not want to risk it. If it's just like, hey, I'll have a little less money in my pocket, then okay, maybe there's other factors that go into it. And so I like to really dive into a person's individual situation. Instead of trying to make predictions, what is your risk tolerance and what is the upside and downside in each scenario? And that usually kind of brings some clarity to what that person should do. I don't know that there's some overall answer to those types of questions. And I certainly have no idea what's going to be happening in the spring. There's a, a million things I can think of that could go either way, but it's the million that I can't think of that actually are the reason I'm less likely to make a prediction like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that, that was very safe <laughs> and I've used the whole crystal ball, uh, you know, m reference myself. Uh, it, it just, it just suits, you know, I've got a, I've got a magic eight ball behind me. You know, I can shake that around and try to give you an answer too. That's well, I'll say, my, my, I'll say one last thing I'll say is I don't believe in, in ever selling real estate if you can avoid it. And what I mean by that is like, you know, 
that guy, if I were that guy, I would borrow against that house to buy another house if I want to, whatever I had to do. But I'm keeping my real estate investments for now and for the long term because every house I've sold, I've regretted selling, and every house I still own, I'm super psyched about. And so if there's a way where you can kind of get to where you want to go without selling your house, I think, I think, you know, I'm a buy and hold real estate investor and I still believe very much in the real estate market long term. I will pass that information along to him and tell him you said so. <laughs> it's good stuff though. It really is. So as we start to wrap up today's show, you know, I'd really like to hear a little bit about uh, things that you're doing that maybe are outside of, uh, you know, the, the mortgage or housing, you know, industry, uh, but still kind of tie in. Tell me a little bit about the podcast that uh, you're getting ready to uh, rejuvenate. Yeah. So my wife and I, when we first moved to Charleston, we started a podcast called Meeting Charleston because we wanted to meet all the cool people in Charleston. And what better way to, to meet cool people than to tell them you're going to interview them on a podcast and put them on it. So that was five or six years ago. Um, we did that right up through the first half of the pandemic. And then we, we were so crazy with work in a good way. And uh, we just kind of, our inspiration for the podcast waned a little bit that we kind of put on ice and we said we'd circle back to it. Touch on a couple of, of key points, some takeaways uh, that I think of from our interview. And we didn't get to talk long, but radical transparency. Again, I love that the, the term uh, just as soon as I saw it and heard it. And um, I'm guessing that you're a Zig Ziglar fan with the you can get anything in life that you want if you help enough other people get what they want and um, and be on the lookout for uh, for meeting Charleston. So anything else that's on the horizon for Mark Gordon, personally or professionally? Yeah, no, I would just like to say that I, I'm just so proud of what we've done here at Princeton. And I think we're really set up well to be able to navigate the storm that we're in. I'm, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this mortgage market for anybody. I, I've been in it for a long time and I, you know, I've never seen rates this high. And, uh, and uh, certainly them going up this fast has been difficult. But the team here has done an amazing job of navigating that. I'm excited about what we have going on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to pushing through and seeing how we can uh, continue to differentiate ourselves in, in this business. Very nice. Very nice. Well, special thanks to the Mortgage Reports for making this episode possible. I want to thank our audience and wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. If you found today's episode helpful, please rate it and review it. Uh, that helps us grow and get more listeners. And if you know someone who could benefit from today's episode, if you could share it, that would be awesome. Mark, if our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I'm Mark D. Gordon on Instagram. Um, and you can certainly find me on Facebook or LinkedIn, Mark D. Gordon. But Instagram um, is probably the easiest place where I come up. And uh, I'm happy to connect with all sorts of different people. And don't be afraid to reach out if you have a question or just want to talk. That's awesome. Mark Gordon, I so appreciate you coming on the show today. I feel like we learned a lot here. And that was all you, my man. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Mortgage Reports podcast. Visit themortgagereports.com for daily mortgage rate updates, news, and advice from experts. 